frontline workers are being exposed to the fear, the virus, that worry, that conscious effort they're having to make every single day to go to work thinking am I putting my family at risk am I exposing myself and they need to remember that trigger to switch them off and recognize when they're safe. If you're a police officer or currently working in law enforcement and you're considering your career you're in the right place. I'm your host Andy Labram. welcome to the Blue Light Leavers podcast. So here we are few weeks into the COVID-19 lockdown and some of us may be coping a little better than others. Now if you're out there working, you're one of the key workers, really appreciate everything you're doing. We really genuinely do. Uh, but I say some may be coping slightly better than others. So what I wanted to do for today's podcast is bring in a special guest who is an expert in the field of mental health. So today I'm talking to Rebecca Kilpatrick. Rebecca is the owner of Kilpatrick Consultancy and Training Limited. She's also a mental health first aid trainer. But prior to that, she was a detective in Surrey. She spent 10 years in the police service before taking a career break. And since then, she's had an extensive career in mental health training and uh, children's safeguarding. Now, I asked her to uh, come onto the podcast to talk about coping strategies and best practice with regards to how to cope with the current situation that we're in. Rebecca gives some fantastic advice, some great insight and some amazing coping strategies. So let's go over to Rebecca now. Hi Becca, it's so good of you to agree to be uh, interviewed on the Blue Light Leavers podcast. Thanks so much for doing this. Thank you. Um, you're, you know, you're very welcome. Brilliant. Glad Thank to you have been much. asked. Yeah, that's great. Um, so you've got uh, basically a, a career history, uh, part of which was in the police service. Do you want to just talk through a little bit about what you've done previously and uh, and what you're doing now? Yeah, um, so I joined the police force in 2006 and I was um, frontline for a couple of months before I went straight into the CID um, area and then I went and did my detectives course and I became a detective and um, was in the safeguarding investigation unit for the, the, the rest of my career. Um, I mainly worked in child abuse, which I absolutely love. Um, am I allowed to mention which force I worked for? Yeah, of course you can, yeah. So I worked for Surrey Police. Um, absolutely loved it. I was, um, my, my dad was a police officer and I just absolutely adored the police force in every aspect of, of what it is. So, That's brilliant, yeah. yeah. My dad was a cop as well, it's funny. Ah, see? Yeah, <laughs> I never thought I was gonna join, but it just sort of went down that way for some reason, so. My career choices were teaching, or the police. And I finished my degree and I applied for the police and the police accepted me. So I thought, oh, it was a bit of fate. So I went for yeah, the police. Yeah. Brilliant. And um, so you did about 10 years in the service, didn't you? I did literally 10 years as I left. Yeah. Okay. It was on my 10th year. So what was happening? Why did you decide to leave for a 10 year period? What was going on? Okay. So um, I have four children. I have four boys. Um, one's 21 this year. One's 18. One's 10. And one's six. And... Um, you know, when you're in when you're in the force, you it's a it's a whole um, what's the word? It's it's your whole self, isn't it? It's not just a job that you turn up to and do Monday to Friday nine to five. It is something that you um, live and breathe. And I lived and breathed it. The only was um, my husband's amazing. He truly is. He he's you know denied being in the job, but um, he would be at home at weekends when the the kids were um, football, rugby, whatever they were doing. And I think he found it quite hard. I mean, working nights and um, in between 
my 10 year old and my six year old, I had a baby and she was born stillborn at um, 20 weeks, um, which I'm happy to share. But I think for me, I went back into the job very, very quickly because I think, and I don't know because you're a man, so I'm not sure what your perspective is on the job, but um, for women, it's very hard to have um, a career within the job and to be a parent. And I think for me, I always struggled to, um, and I'm not saying uh, doing my career because I always really loved working. I was so, I'd throw myself into it. Um, but I felt like I was always constantly on the back burner saying to my um, husband or my mum or anybody, can you pick up the kids? Can you sort them out? So when I obviously had my stillborn baby, I was so desperate to get back to work to show that this facade that I had was like, it's fine, I can carry on and be a detective and, you know, have a family and go through this tragedy and, you know, everything's going to be fine. And I threw myself back into my work, as I did, and I don't think I'd quite processed what had happened. Um, and then I fell pregnant, you know, literally immediately afterwards because it was my plan, it was my journey that I was going to have another baby. Um, I went on maternity leave with him and he was hard work. He's, he, I mean, he's adorable. He's my youngest and he's absolutely adorable, but he was really hard work. And I don't think I had processed losing my daughter and um, I went back to work and was full speed ahead as I am with everything in life and um, an opportunity came up and somebody offered me a chance to just go do some admin work um, and I thought do you know what why not I can take a career break and I can come back to it which means that I can work from home a couple of hours a day and be at home with my kids so I just jumped at the chance but it wasn't that that was a conscious decision that I thought I need to do this right now. It was, you've got this opportunity, you can come back to your career. And I just felt like I was juggling a million balls. And at one point I was going to drop something because I knew that I hadn't quite processed what was going on in my head. So, um, yeah, that's that's kind of what made me leave. And, and like I said, it wasn't a conscious decision. It was an opportunity arose and I just went, okay. I mean, I remember going in and having a conversation with my inspector and, um, and I have to say hats off to my, my apps, my, he's the, he's a golden egg sergeant at the time. Um, he's now a very, very good friend of mine. And, um, and I didn't tell him cause I felt like he was going to be disappointed in me. And, um, I kind of went above his head and went straight to my inspector and I sat my inspector down and I said, do you know what? I'm going to have to apply for a career break. And he said, um, why? And I went, I'm so fucking tired. I was like, <laughs> tired and he just said yeah yeah you need to get a tv you've got four kids you know I completely understand um, mm. and that's kind of how the conversation started and then I felt really terrified to tell my sergeant who I adored to say you know I've just been granted a five-year career break and he was just sort of saying you know actually in fact he told me to take five years I applied for two and he asked me to take five. He said, listen, give yourself some more time because you might not want to come back and you might set yourself up and whatever you do. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that point, I hadn't quite figured it out. I just knew I needed to be at home with my kids. And to be honest, I probably needed to just grieve for what had happened, enjoy mm-hmm. my kids and grieve what I've lost, you know. Um, and that's how it happened. And here I am four years later. Wow. Yeah. I, mean, I can't imagine what that must be like. I haven't been through that myself, so I can't imagine how difficult that must have been. But it's funny, isn't it, that sometimes, you know, these these life changing events can be the catalyst mm. for, you know, yeah. for, for almost all of us. And loads of people that I've interviewed have said exactly the same thing. There's there's one thing that that is the trigger, if you like, that yeah. 
it doesn't have to be, you know, it doesn't necessarily have to be a big thing, but there's just something that happens for you. Obviously, it's massive. Mm. Um, but yeah, I, I totally get it as well with regards to, um, you know, juggling. You know, for me, you know, like you say, you know, I was a bloke. I was on the firearms team when my kids were young. And, you know. Did you miss was, out on a lot? I did miss out on a lot. But, I, you know, Claire did so much. You know, she was a detective and looking after the kids a lot of the time. Yeah. And we were juggling a bit, but she was working part-time. I was working full-time. I was the sort of main breadwinner. I was a bit further on in service. You know, it, it, it's so difficult. So, so difficult. And, you know, I missed out on a lot. But to be honest, I had it fairly easy in comparison to to probably how you had it and, and how Claire had it as well, you know. So, so yeah, I, I do get it. I, I really do. So, um, so you had that opportunity, obviously. Um, yeah. To leave in 2016? 2016, yeah. June 2016, I took my official career break. Yeah. Yeah. And um, so in theory, that runs out in 2021. Next yeah, next June. I have to hand in my resignation or go back. Or go back. So let's talk about yeah. what you've done since then, Becca. What, uh, you've done some amazing things. You've got a fantastic career history. What sort of stuff have you done since then? Well, I got... I got advised of a company called Triangle down in Brighton when I was um, while I was still in the service, and they um, video interview young children for and on behalf of the police and at courts, and they also run an intermediary service. So um, they provide training for police officers to take their um, forensic interview, or uh, it's called forensic interview course, but it's to take their um, investigating interview skills to another level. So I contacted that company and said, "Listen, I'll pay for myself to come and do this course because this is what I want to do." Um, and the director, who sadly passed away now, she said to me, if you come on the course and you pass it, I'll give you a job. So um, that was kind of my start. So I was working for my best friend at the time, um, Vicky. She had run a professional organising service. And I was just doing her admin from home, which is a full-time job in itself. And she now has a PA because she realised how much she needed. Um, so I was doing that, looking after the kids. And I went and worked for this company called Triangle. Um, and... I've been with them, I think, three and a half, four years. I can't remember what year. I, I was January 2017 I joined, so it wasn't much after I left the job. Um, and I trained as an intermediary, and I went to court. I, I still do. I go to court for, um, with family victims, uh, not victims, vi- witnesses. Mm-hmm. And um, if they're mother and care proceedings or a victim at court, um, I go there and I help them understand the court process because you'll understand that the court process is quite complex. And um, I tr- sort of not translate, but I make it, um, conversations simpler for them to understand. And as well as that, I go around to the, the UK, which is what I said earlier on. I go to Northamptonshire a lot and I do a lot of video interviews with children there. Mm. And then that gets handed over. Sometimes it's um, custody battles that the children will be interviewed for. And other times it's for court. So something's happened. The police are no longer investigating, but there's a family court case still going on. So um, my policing skills are still very much active. And um, I can't imagine me stopping doing that anytime soon because I adore it. That's the part of me that I really, really miss is sort of investigating child abuse. That sounds really awful, but I love the um, cases, the real gritty cases. Um, And then alongside that, I knew that I wanted to work for myself and I knew um, that I wanted to go into training. So I established a, a business of my own, a limited company, and then I kind of sought out work and I became a freelance trainer for several charities, one of which I still work for now, which is the Lighthouse Charity, which is a construction um, charity. And um, I uh, got trained as a mental health first aider, which 
Um, if you've heard about it in the press at the moment, the Mental Health First Aid England are a huge organisation and they are at the forefront of um, mental health at the moment. And they are campaigning to get one in 10 people within the workplace trained as a mental health first aider. And what that means is basically somebody who's like a physical first aid uh, um, if they fall over, break their arm, do whatever they need to do, they've got somebody on hand to bandage up until medical, um, you know, a person practitioner would arrive. So uh, a mental health first aider is, is exactly that. So they are there to help in a crisis, and not advice, but um, to offer support and guidance um, until they get, you know, the, the appropriate medical help that they need. And it generally, in you know, advising them to towards getting professional help because they're not you know you're not mentally trained um so I train people to do that and um alongside my business I well within my business I um train people to do to do with mental health awareness so I go into big organizations and um I'll deliver mental health the basic mental health awareness to um the members of the staff so I would imagine that the majority of the people, if you ask them if they've ever had any mental health training, they'll say, no, I haven't had any. I don't know how to deal with, or I've suffered myself, but I don't know how um, to recognise the signs and symptoms. So I'll go into organisations and give like a two-hour talk on the basic mental health awareness. Um, and then um, I was just trying to think what else I do, because there's quite a lot. That's um, incredible. That is so good. <laughs> there's so much. I there is so much. That's brilliant. That really is so impressive. Um, now, one of the reasons, obviously, why um, I wanted to speak to you today was obviously because of what's going on, and, and we're four weeks mm. into the it's our fourth week now, isn't it, into our lockdown? Yeah, um, I think we're just about to start our fourth week, aren't we? Or am we I are, thinking? Yeah, yeah, no, you're right. No, I think you're about right. Through, we went on to lockdown, lockdown on the 23rd of March. So yeah, yes. Either way, we're a few weeks in. <laughs> we're too, really, we're so far in now. We don't know where we are. <laughs> What all, all the days are a blur. We can't really work out what's what. Um, but I was really keen to speak to, particularly with regards to um, self-awareness and mm-hmm. people being aware of their own mental health and, um, you know, looking towards any coping strategies, any best practice, Becca, anything at all that you think is, is going to help people. Also, you know, there's a lot of people that listen to the podcast and from different emergency services and different backgrounds, you know, outside of emergency services as well. But, you know, I really want people to and you've got those skills, I really want people to be aware of, of the signs, what to look for, and, and how to cope, sort of, you know, how to, to basically feel okay about stuff. Yeah, I think um, right now, I think everybody needs to be really, really aware of the fact that they're not in this alone. And if they are feeling different in any way, shape or form, that isn't because they're abnormal in any way. Um, but it's also just to accept that we're not and, and this conversation will come up a lot, and I think you'll hear this a lot with sort of um, the government, where they say, we're all in this together and we're all in the same boat. We're not in the same boat. We're absolutely not. We are all in this together because, you know, you think worldwide, there's a lot of countries that are further ahead of us. They're, you know, in week eight, week nine, whatever it is, they're in lockdown. Yeah. We're in very different situations, um, especially for, I'd say, I'd say management, CEOs, large organisations, where they're getting to work for moment but they're still financially they're sorted whereas you've got a lot of workers who have been furloughed so they've got that concern on their head or they are out of a job Mm. for me my business kind of went from um booming to all of a sudden overnight just um i have got work in the pipeline i have got a lot of online um training packages now starting but at first i really spent the first week really 
trying to get my head around what happened. And I think I'm quite mentally well and balanced, if that's the right way of um, saying it. And I I struggled. So for me, my um, empathetic side really sort of drew for the whole world. I was really panicked for them, thinking, oh, God, how's everybody going to cope? So I think it's number one, I'd say, it's just recognizing that you aren't in this alone, 100%. You're not in this alone. We're all suffering together, but we're at different levels of suffering. Um, frontline workers are being exposed to the fear, the virus, that worry, that um, conscious effort they're having to make every single day to go to work, thinking, am I putting my family at risk? Am I um, exposing myself? And I, you know, I think the media have a lot to answer for, because I think both you and I, we discussed before the, the podcast started, that there's a high chance, I know for me, there's a high chance I've had COVID-19 already, um, and, and potentially you. The fear, we've self-isolated at home and we've recovered. So I think those success stories aren't coming across the media. Um, so for frontline workers, it would be hard for me to say, don't watch the media because they're seeing it face on. Um, and they are seeing the death and they're seeing the people at their worst. But what I think they need to remember is that people are recovering every day that they're not seeing. Um, so the fear-mongering tried to put that out of the way. Um, for the frontline workers, the advice I'd give is very much different from everyday workers that are working in their offices and you know at home or in their kitchen where they're working because they're not being exposed to the level of risk. So I think frontline workers need to just, um, well, I'm trying to think what I'd offer them is remembering to switch off when they they come out of that really dangerous situation. And um, and Andy, you said yourself that you're you were um, frontline, so knocking at that door or firearms whatever it was you were in you have that adrenaline rush that surge that pumping cortisol going around your body all the time and you're in that fight flight freeze aren't you constantly and I think for frontline workers they're going to be living in that right now and they need to remember that trigger to switch them off so that they know that when they're off duty they're off duty so that's paramedics doctors nurses and police officers whatever role they're doing supermarket workers don't want to don't want to miss anybody out because there's so many key workers isn't there they need to be able to switch off and um recognize when they're safe in order for their cortisol to release and i think right now that's going to be very hard for them to be switching off so it's trying to find what will help them especially the families that are separated from their um loved ones you know there's we've got so many um, nurses that are sleeping separately from their homes and their family and their children. So I think it's just a case of finding something that will help them switch off. For me, it's meditation, but it's, that's not for everybody. So I wouldn't want to say to everybody, Oh, meditate and everything's going to be all right. Cause it's totally not. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's learning to find a trigger so that they feel safe, you know, to know okay, I'm off duty for the yeah. next eight hours and actually let my body relax and zone out ready for the next, fight for flight or freeze moment yeah no that's great advice and and what about um you know that self-awareness what sort of things should people be looking out for as as potential mental health um um, triggers and symptoms well i think it's really difficult to say in terms of um things that i'd I'd say the most worrying thing at the moment is going to be anxiety and depression and then there's going to be suicide thoughts and um, I've already looked at the suicide figures and they're already going up um, so I think for people if they're starting to have abnormal thoughts that are creeping in worrying thoughts their moods are going to be really really low and dark 
um, then I would I'd say to anybody, reach out now and speak to somebody about it. Do not think this is going to go away because like in any situation, like when I'm speaking to people about mental health, I would, I'd ask them, what's the difference between breaking a leg and being mentally unwell? Because there are at times you aren't feeling well, um, but people tend to ignore it and bury it and hope that it goes away. And in reality, being mentally unwell isn't a weakness, you know. Um, and I and I always think back to when I when I lost my baby. I was definitely probably in a very dark place for a good two years, I'd say, um, until really I took that time out. Um, but I, it, on, on a front, I was putting up a front. But it didn't make me a weaker person. It's definitely 100% made me a stronger person because I've come out of it the other side. So I think for people, it's recognizing that they're not feeling themselves. And instead of just saying, okay, I'm going to bury that, that's going to change. You break your leg. If you don't deal with it, it's not going to heal correctly. You need to deal with a mental illness without, um, you're not shaming yourself. You're literally reaching out to somebody and saying, listen, I just need to offload. And I think for me, I've offered the NHS staff at Royal Berkshire Hospital. That's a hospital um, over in Reading. Um, my friend is a nurse there. And I was in talks with her before all this happened to go and put, um, go into their um, A&E service, uh, department and have a room where they would um, have the nurses to be able to come and speak to me for an hour just to offload. So I was given that service for um, free. So I've now done off, offered it online for nurses to be able to come at the end of the shift and say, oh, this has happened, this, death, this number of deaths or this um, has really upset me and I just need to offload it. Because what they need to be able to do is offload in order to then go home to their safe zone, you know? So um, for me, you'll be looking out for the signs when your moods are really dipping and you're feeling very um, unusually low and not being able to lift yourself back up. So I think for the, for the um, frontline serve workers, they're going to be ongoing for quite a while now. That isn't going to be something that they can look at and say, right, I'm feeling unusually low because they're under a lot of pressure. Yeah. But for, a, say, an office worker who is feeling very low because the anxiety has really taken hold of them. I think they need to really recognize and say, this is not me. And actually I'm feeling um, scared and worried because it's the thought of um, something happening is worse than what is actually happening. So I, I definitely say the media has so much to play for that at the moment, you know. Yeah, I've actually stopped watching the news. Yeah, I think it's probably best for you. And that's one thing I definitely advise people, limit how much you are exposing yourself to media. Yeah, totally yeah. agree. Totally agree. Um, what's really difficult as well, though, is if you are actually feeling that way and you can feel yourself starting to slip. Mm. Um, and I've never suffered from, from mental health or depression. You know, I'm very, very fortunate. Um, there's no, you know, I may do in the future, who knows? Um, but close friends of mine have. And I know it's really difficult. And there's other people who I've interviewed as well for the podcast that have said, um, you know, it's almost a shame of, of admitting that there is a bit of a problem. Yeah. So if... People are worried. Yeah, absolutely. So how would you, how would you combat that? You know, how, what do you tell people if they are feeling that way, but they're a bit worried about actually um, saying to anyone, particularly work, that they're struggling? Well, I think that cliche saying is it's okay to not be okay is absolutely paramount right now. It really, really is okay to not be okay at any point in life, but especially during this pandemic. Um, I would say that if they don't want to speak to someone that they know, there are so many help um, lines out there, anonymous. There's the Samaritans, there's Minds. There's so many people they can speak to. Just if they just want to just go, 
I don't know why I'm feeling really frightened. I'm really nervous. Something's going to happen. Um, just to offload. And once they've done that, then I don't know that that it might make them feel a little bit better because I think in 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 worries in, in worrisome situations you've got to think of the the best and the worst and it's somewhere in between. So I think the when somebody's worrying about something they'll cat I can't even say this word cat catastrophize catastrophize. <laughs> well done. I'm, yeah. I couldn't say it either. They'll, That's great. <laughs> they'll catastrophize it in their head. So I my worry is for the world is that people will be catastrophizing everything in their head rather than just saying to their partner, I'm really concerned. When this all happens, as I said, my business kind of went boom. Um, my husband works with Vodafone and nothing changed for him other than the fact that he's working from home five days a week instead of two or three. For me, I, I was due to go to Croatia. I should be in Croatia right now working. Um, and um, so much, I travel around to hotels. I spend a lot of time away. And I was saying to him, well, everything's changed for me. You've got to, and you've got to be able to offload to somebody and for them to be able to understand. And he definitely doesn't understand if I say, oh, my business. He, he's like, well, you know, we're okay. But I think speaking to partners sometimes isn't the best thing because they don't necessarily get it. So I, I would, for me, I would urge people to use and utilize the um, free helplines to just be able to, rationalize what your worries are and it may be something they can help with and signpost it may be something they can't and it might be that you need to speak to a best mate or a parent or somebody that's close and obviously at the moment we've got that issue where we aren't able to give them a hug which is where we're going to get that you know really good feel good um hormone being released when we're hugging someone we can't get that right now so that comfort so then that makes me worry about the people that are isolated on their own that aren't getting that that hormone from being cuddled and and being reassured that everything's going to be okay because right now nobody knows what's going to happen you know so um definitely speak to somebody and if you haven't got somebody near you then utilize the free helplines samaritans is 100 percent. it's a great one they're so good at what they do as well aren't they mm. they've been around for such a long time and and you know i'm working within the um, rail industry at the moment and um do a huge amount of work with them as well you know, for obvious reasons. So uh, yeah, no, they're so good at what they do. And if um, anybody's listening that's in the construction industry, the Lighthouse are a free charity as well that will have a helpline. Oh, that's brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. Um, Mental Health First Aid England. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit around what it is you're doing with them and, um, and you know, the resources that are available through them as well, Becca? Yeah, I mean, the Mental Health First Aid England is kind of up there trying to push um, all the um, good strategies that you can use and trying to get everybody to utilise their Mental Health First Aiders. Um, So if you don't have one that you know about, it's worth um, going on their website and having a look. And if anybody wants to do some online training, there is um, Mental Health First Aid half-a-day courses. And um, we can't offer two-day courses at the moment because online it's not set up for virtually for two days. Um, but they're really trying to push that, um, well, I think it's going to back up their case, really, that everybody needs a mental first aid in the workplace because people need to be able to know who I can go to, who understands. Because if you talk about depression, anxiety, OCD, phobias, whatever it is, and a lot of people will be like, oh, it's just one of these things, this is the new fad, which is totally not true. It's been around, depression has been around forever. It, you know, when you think back to the days when people used to say, oh, I've got a bad back, I can't come into work today. It's just making it more acceptable to, to be able to say, I'm, I'm having a bad mental health day. Can I have a day 
where I'm at home self-isolating, self-caring, looking after yourself and doing things that make you happy. So Mental Health First Aid England really push that. Um, they talk about the happy hour. Um, not everybody, I'm going to, most people at home, like you and I, Andy, we're going to be able to have a happy hour to ourselves if it means reading a book or for me having a glass of wine right now um, lots of other things that you can do. But the frontline workers aren't going to be able to be saying, well, I'm going to go and have a happy hour to myself because right now they're probably not feeling that, you know. Um, but one of the things Mental Health First Aid England talk about is um, having strategies to be able to look for the signs and symptoms in their colleagues and friends. The difficulty right now is um, we're doing it virtually. So it's just looking for those signs when somebody's talking to you, how many times they're mentioning that they're down, you know, what will be the trigger to, to pick up your phone and actually reaching out to somebody virtually. And if it means logging on to Zoom for half an hour to see their faces, you're going to give them that, you know, happy rush of hormone where they're saying, oh, I can see, I can see your face. I feel a bit better now. I feel, you know, comforted. So I think it's, it's difficult because when you're in the workplace, you might notice something in the change in their behavior. A I, I mean, one of the things that they say as well is looking out for is a change in somebody's physical appearance. Now, I mean, men are slightly different from women, but um, the majority of the women will, will get up and do something with um, the hair, makeup. I mean, that's generalizing. Please don't shoot me down for that, people. But women tend to, um, they're slightly different from men with their grooming in the mornings. And I'd say you know, you can't really spot that because at the moment, most people are slobbing around in you know, active wear, not doing their hair and makeup with it because they don't need to. Um, so how are you spotting those signs when you're yeah. not there with them? Yeah. Yeah. So when, yeah. maybe when you log it onto Zoom, you're noticing that somebody isn't looking their best, that they usually are, and um, just saying, are you okay? And actually genuinely just asking the question, is everything okay for you? And what can I do for you right now that's going to help you? Yeah, great advice. I was going to say the same thing about if you doubled up with someone at work as well and and if you notice changes in them at work as well, what what sort of things, um, again, I mean, you you touched on it already, but if they keep, you were saying if they keep repeating. Repeating keywords. I think keywords are going to be, you you need to look out for the keywords, like I'm feeling really down, I can't shift this mood, um, I'm really concerned, or, you know, I keep waking up and having dreams. Um, One of the things as well I think a lot of people will notice is broken sleep waking up at you know funny times of the night where generally they'd sleep through and probably because their mind's not switching off so my advice for that was doing some relaxation before bedtime and also I've done some research into this um and what the suggestion is is that if you're waking up in the middle of the night and it's say four because I've done it recently I had a week of it and where I was waking up at 4am every morning and not getting back to work uh, sleep till 6 30 and um, I did the research to say, what is it I can do? And the suggestion is don't lay in bed thinking, okay, I can't sleep, I can't sleep, I can't sleep. Get up and do something relaxing. It, it, whatever's relaxing for you. Some people it's ironing. I mean, it's not my thing, but um, some people it's meditation, mindfulness, watching a movie, something that will help you relax your mind before then going back to bed mm-hmm. so that you can make that switch to say, okay, I, I really can't sleep. I'm going to get up, deal with this, rather than just laying there, tossing and turning and making yourself worse and getting yourself into a state. Yeah, definitely. And if um, if you are a bit worried about someone that you're working with, what's mm-hmm. the best thing to do? How do you how do you have that conversation with someone? And and do you? So I'm asking a couple of questions here. So uh, when you notice something's not right, you're getting people repeating what they're you know they're feeling down, they're struggling to shake the mood. Um, how do you actually manage that? Do you re- expect them to go and help themselves, or is there stuff that you can do for them? No, I think because. 
mental health first aider, you can't take on that responsibility of um, one advising people, but you can take on the responsibility of um, is um, approaching them. So in um, mental health first aid England, they have this um, uh, acronym, and, and the police used to love acronyms as well, didn't they? It's called LG, and it's approaching, assessing, and assisting somebody is A, and then you've got L for listening non-judgmentally, and uh, G is for giving support, and then um, E is encouraging professional advice and support from others. So I think in a situation where we're all virtual, you are going to have to be that first person that approaches that person and saying, are you all right? Uh, You know, I can see that you're struggling, or I hear that you keep repeating these words, Um, and you can say, I'm worried about you, what can I, you know support can I offer you uh, you could also take that one step further research what if they say to you yes you know I'm really concerned because I don't know my obsessive compulsive disorder is really really triggered right now you could google the OCD websites and then send them over to them and say listen I'm not saying you need to do this but this is where you could go because you, what you don't want to be doing is giving advice that would work for one person but not for everybody so I think that's the um, you know, the, the key element in this is mental health is very different for everybody. Mental ill health, should I say, rather than mental health. It's very different in every individual. So I think what works for one won't work for another. So if you said, oh, I know my sister's brother's cousin went to this website and it really helped, they might say, well, I've tried that and it didn't work. And, you know, you're then kind of cutting them off. So I think the best thing for you to do is send over a whole load of resources and say, listen, I've looked at this and I think this really might help. Do you want to take a look? And leave them with it. If they dismiss you and say, I'm absolutely fine, then just touch base with them and just say, when you're ready, I'm here. But if it's beyond your um, capabilities and you do feel that they're not listening and you're more concerned for them, you could speak to a family member or, um, you know, a colleague, if it's a work colleague, a supervisor, boss, manager, whatever it is, and say, I'm really concerned. I've been speaking to, I don't know, let's say Dottie every day and she sounds really down and I'm really concerned for her. Because what you don't want to do is take it all on board yourself so you need to be able to recognize that you are offering somebody help but you can't fix them all the time so it and it's also letting go of that guilt when they're not listening to you so i think that's the hardest thing yeah yeah absolutely great advice thank you so much for that um i noticed the um the mental health first aid website as well as some fantastic resources particularly around remote working at the moment as well Mm -hmm. Um, so definitely signpost that during the uh, show notes. Rebecca, brilliant interview. Thank you so much for um, yeah. you know for your insight and for your advice and support. It's incredibly difficult time for a lot of people, but extraordinary times. And it's going to be amazing how um, you know in twenty, thirty years' time, our kids look at this period as well, and and uh, and how they found it, and the conversations that are going on in a few years, because you know we're living history. So it's extraordinary. I don't think they're going to be as worried as we are. I think, I think you're right. Yeah. yeah, I think as the adults, they're probably struggling more than. Children, and yeah. um, I asked my ten-year-old the other day, "What's the one thing that you'll take from this?" And he said, um, "Oh, I'm loving it. The lockdown. So I'm living my best life, Mum." So, and one thing I'd say as well is, be, "Is grateful." And um, for me, I feel like I've been given the the gift of time back. You know, I live I live in the fast lane all the time, and I'm you know, fifteen minutes before speaking to you, I was painting my um, dining room chairs in the garden, and you know, I've made a chicken coop and all these things that. I think I, I kept putting off and saying, I'll do, I'll do, I'll do. And now I'm doing it. So I think for me, I'm, I'm being grateful, genuinely grateful for everything that I do right now. Um, and it's hard. And I can't advise the frontline workers at the moment to be grateful because it's going to be really hard for them. 
to be feeling quite grateful, but we, you know, we're all grateful for them so much right now. I mean, I've always been more, you know, grateful for the police and the, um, you know, fire brigade and the ambulance and the, the nurses. I'm always grateful for them more so than ever in my life. And I'm grateful to them right now. You know, they are really braving everything that while we're in our houses staying safe, they're keeping us yeah. safe. So, true heroes. True yeah, heroes. true heroes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, fantastic. Becca, thank you so much for your time. Amazing That's interview. Okay. Really do appreciate it. So Becca, if people want to reach out to you and, uh, and connect with you, what's going to be the best way of doing that? Um, through my website, I would say, um, which is um, www.kilpatrickconsultancy.co.uk. Um, send me an email on there and um, I will reply or Instagram. And I've got a Facebook account as well, which is a Kilpatrick Consultancy. So it's Kilpatrick Training and Consultancy. Fantastic. Okay, that's brilliant. Well, thank you so much. And uh, and thanks again for your time. I look forward to catching you again soon. Thank you. What a great interview that was. Uh, Thanks so much to Becca for her time. And if you are feeling low and you do need some help and support, please do exactly as she asks. Reach out. Get in contact either with a friend or through Samaritans or whoever it might be and just reach out and get that support and help that you need. If you notice it in someone else as well, take the advice that she gives. Uh, so if you like what you heard, then uh, please leave a review and hit five stars. And uh, you can also join our private Facebook group, which is www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Blue Light Look forward to seeing you there. Speak to you again soon. Bye bye for now.